Hello, welcome back to Do The Franchise with me, Jake. And me, James. And um, it's a it's a strange time to be podcasting, isn't it, James? It, yeah, um, it, it, it might feel frivolous, but I think we do kind of need frivolous stuff right now. Yeah, I mean, I don't know about you, but other than talking to you right now on the podcast, I've literally been sat in a room talking to myself for the last few days. We might as well um, record it. Mate, honestly, everything's closed. The whole of England is closed. Um, we're recording this on Thursday, the I think it's the 21st today, is it? 20th? Are you uh, hoping 20th, this is no. going to be some sort of time capsule if, if people find England in the future? <laughs> yeah, because yeah. <laughs> I don't know when these episodes are going out. So Thursday the 19th is the current day of we're recording. And I like to talk about this because obviously... In a few days' time, we might not be laughing, but this also yeah. might be something completely different because uh, we did talk about it slightly in our last episode when we were, I think we were on the cusp of this uh, coronavirus thing and nothing had really happened in the UK. And fast forward, like, what, two weeks later? Yeah. UK's, UK's closed. Yeah. It's it's absolutely incredible how quickly it's all happening. And, you know, yeah. we are giggling obviously the death toll is rising it is yeah, it's serious not, yeah. it's not yeah, yeah, yeah. i i don't want to make light of that but no, no, no e- equally that, for a lot of people thankfully it's going to be uncomfortable at worst and they'll get yeah, better yeah. so and I'm, this is why we're here to provide some uh, quarantine based entertainment while you can't do anything but sit in the bath and listen to podcasts absolutely um, you can listen to you can listen to us right yeah i i've just, just uh, we're doing our bit <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've just seen people on on uh, youtube coming up with helpful ways to stay fit whilst you're in quarantine uh what mm, one of them what, what one of them was uh weightlifting with your cat uh, <laughs> is, is one of them watching the Superman <laughs> franchise? It should be. It should yeah. be. I mean, I think if you can sanely make your way in reverse through Superman yeah. Quest for Peace to Superman yeah. 1, uh, I think you're, you're doing all right. It's a good yeah, test I, of sanity. I, I feel much happier once I arrived at Superman 1, knowing that Superman 3 and Superman 4 were well and truly behind us. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! It's like it's, uh, it's like when you got to the end of the Star Wars prequels and you're like, oh, the next one's directed by George Lucas. <laughs> yeah, how was the next one? Yeah, how was the next one directed by George Lucas? Even though these ones were nothing like the next one. <laughs> um, this is so. This is so today. Me and I've lost completely. Fluffed it already. Uh, James and I are reviewing uh, Superman the movie or Superman One, uh, whichever you prefer. Um, directed by Richard Donner. I usually have a lot of facts in front of me, and I've negligently not done any research or work today, James, as you want to fill in. Yeah, uh, I definitely... I think what we will do, uh, because these are... uh, These two films, Superman 1 and we will next episode get onto Superman 2, they're so closely linked and there's so much to do, it might be cool for us to save our interesting facts for the second episode. Because yeah. I think some of them will be spoilers, so okay, yeah, good yeah, idea. I think uh, I think we'll we'll do that uh, for Superman two. We'll we'll tie everything together in the way Warner Brothers couldn't. Um. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is directed by Richard Donner in nineteen seventy eight, James. So it's fairly old. Uh, yeah, uh, it, it's, it's older than us. Um, I uh, I it holds up though. It's it does. It is shockingly it's good. good. Um, it is out of interest because we we like to go from like the reviews 
from the outset. What did this get mm-hmm. on IMDb? Did you did you get a chance to yeah, look that up? I have it. It's got seven point three out of ten on IMDb. Okay. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes gave it a ninety four percent audience score. That's that's more Pretty accurate. Good. Yeah, I, I I think this is. I I've written it somewhere down in my notes, but. This this was basically the blueprint for all superhero films going forward. So yeah, it was like the original superhero film. Yeah, that that you had to conform to this to to make it. And it's funny that you say that because even the newer superhero films, like your Wonder Woman, Man of Steel, um, I think we'll probably skip Justice League, but uh, <laughs> a lot of these uh, movies, Iron Man, um, Captain America, the First Avenger. They are very much of this ilk in yeah. that there is a there is sort of a beginning establishment. There's an origin. There's an origin of a bad guy. Definitely. Then there is the building of your superhero, um, and then there's a sort of midpoint in the movie where the superhero has to do something dramatic. Uh, in this case, I guess it's becoming Superman, and then by the end of the movie, he kind of re- you know establishes himself in the in the world that we're supposed to live in. So it's kind of like, how does that hero then become a part of our society? Yeah, and it's very much an archetype of all those those comic book films. And I I, I think the formula works. I enjoy them. Um, they're good fun and they're they're good distraction from the from everything that's going on at the moment. But what I will say is that Superman one. Um, it's just got a certain gravitas and a certain oomph to it that you don't get in a lot of these throwaway superhero origin films. You know what I mean? Yeah, because, I mean, as cool as Russell Crowe is, he's not Marlon Brando, is he? He definitely isn't Marlon Brando. How good is this <laughs> opening sequence, though? Oh, like, did, did you, on your version of the film, because I, I yeah. can't remember this on previous viewings, mm. but I've watched it again today just for this episode... Did yeah. your version of the film start with a, a black and white bit with a kid reading a comic? Yes, yes, it did. Because find that a bit weird. <laughs> I, like, it's basically this kid giving you the, the backstory of the Daily Planet or explaining why the mm. Daily Planet's important. Um, I thought that was a bit odd. And yeah, I, I can't remember ever seeing that before. And I'm I think guessing it's in 1938, and a kid's like reading a comic book of Superman. So I'm guessing that's when he came about. Yeah, because that the Action Comics was the the or, origins of Superman. You know, so right. Superman didn't necessarily have his own comic book, but it was Action mm. Comics, and that was what that was showing it it was it was just really odd i don't remember seeing it i think it's obviously it's the theatrical release i, I it must have been yeah. there but yeah, yeah from i'm guessing i've always only ever seen this film when it's been on tv and they must mm. cut that bit out of the television version yeah it's like intermissions in films like Lawrence of Arabia and and they cut a lot of that out don't they yeah like the big, i think the first 15 minutes of Lawrence of Arabia is just music yeah <laughs> being played over a black background so that was uh, that that was odd it seemed a bit unrelated but uh, yeah. you, you do have the opening sequence with Brando General Zod getting, uh, going through his trial um which I, I, the fact that these two films Superman 1 and 2 are films back to back basically yeah 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 Intr- important it, to know as well when you do know that yeah and it's it's so cool that you have that introduction to General Zod there and then. They don't yeah. they don't have to retcon anything. They don't have to shoehorn some sort of backstory into the second film. Mm. You see him straight away. I mean, it makes absolutely no sense for this film. If this was the only Superman film that existed, <laughs> you're just like, well, yeah, what, what about of, those because, characters? Yeah. <laughs> because of what we know about this movie and the troubles that these two movies had in terms of production... 
It's interesting to think that it could have been just the one film, in which case uh, Terrence Stamp would have had no point being in that first film. Yeah. Um, I love the opening sequence. I love the titles. The titles are probably the best superhero introduction titles you'll ever get. And they obviously, like, I love Nolan's movies. We'll probably do those at some point. I love the Batman, the Dark Knight. I like that they're gritty and based in reality, but there is something wonderful about those swishing and swooping flying blue and red titles. I just it, think they're great. Yeah. So that John Williams theme as well, they they really do just suck you straight into that universe. The only thing that I think for me comes close is the uh, the, the first X-Men film, the uh, going through the genes... Uh, yeah, on that, that's that's kind of God, the, the yeah, only thing yeah. that's similar that I can think of that made me go, "Wow, that's cool." But you know what? I, similarly, and I will because I haven't seen those films in a long time, and I'm sure we'll probably talk about them in time. I I liked that about those. I remember thinking when I was a kid, "Yeah, ah, oh, those titles are really cool." And then the sequel uh, was also done by Brian Singer, who we're going to talk about in, in in later episodes. Uh, Brian Singer did the same thing with I think the second one, in which case instead of going through the genes, it goes through the brain. Yeah, and it go all the way through the human brain into the middle. And when they get to the middle, the doors of uh, Cerebro slam shut, don't they? And that, it's like, yeah. It's such a brilliant, subtle but strange but iconic way of opening a movie, and I think they they abandoned that for the X Men films. But when Singer came back to do uh, Days of Future Past, they brought those titles back again. Yeah, so I was like, ah, oh, that's kind of nice that he's like the daddy of those X Men films. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so yeah, I, I love the intro. I love. Um, it, it's weird that they go from uh, Jor El, um, Superman's dad, uh, yeah. Marlon Brando. Um, they they go from him being you know sort of like the chairperson of, of General Zod's uh, trial to mm. like a hard cut to him trying to explain why uh, Krypton's in trouble and no one trusts him even though he was the trusted one to to sentence Zod. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> instantly you know what, they're though? just like no one trusts him. Yeah, this is a little bit like, and I don't want to go back to it too much in our podcast, but this virus situation we've got in the UK and in the world. It's that thing where a bunch of scientists say a thing and you're like, these are the people that know everything about this particular issue. And as soon as they speak up, everyone's like, nah, that's not true. And yeah. then when the thing really hits the fan, everybody starts going, right, if you just listen to this scientist, <laughs> you're like, oh, God, it's too late now. You brought the scientist in now. I like, um, I really like that Marlon Brando refers to Krypton as Krypton. Yeah. <laughs> Does anyone ever tell him how to pronounce the planet? You can imagine uh, the the staff on this film because Marlon Brando was probably the biggest star at the time. Him and yeah, Gene he's Hackman. Bill, he's billed top, isn't he, I think, in this movie. Yeah, and they're, they're just not going to correct him, are they? <laughs> yeah, no. you, you wouldn't want to. It's so Krypton, it, it is. Uh, it's so, <laughs> so funny because, obviously, this is kind of like... Is this this is older Brando, isn't it? So this is Brando at like fifty odds, and he didn't. Yeah, he wasn't alive for that long. I don't think he made it to seventy, did he? Anyway, so he must be quite old Brando here, which means he's obviously established as as Marlon Brando. And yeah, he's just in this film for like two minutes. It's really odd. It's a wonderful scene. I think the scene uh, it works really well. Um, they've all got really sort of shiny uh, aluminium outfits. Um, there's loads of crystals everywhere. They clearly made an effort to try and make it look futuristic. But yeah. the problem with all old movies, same with Doctor Who, the futuristic you go for in the 60s and 70s always ends up being dated now. 
uh, in <laughs> most you... cases. Well, I don't know, because they kind of look like they're wearing hazmat suits, and a lot of scientists yeah. now are wearing hazmat suits. So, True. Uh, it, maybe it's quite accurate. But the um, the thing I don't... Well, I, I sort of get that they don't trust him uh, based on the fact that he decides to make a spaceship out of glass crystals <laughs> that he then puts his child in and sends his child through space. Uh, through, the, through the roof? He didn't even open the roof. No, just through the roof, into space. <laughs> and that, but the amazing thing is this spaceship survives everything on its journey to Earth. He's got, like, audiobooks in there, so he's basically signed yeah, his... Yeah. To the Krypton version of Audible, and I really <laughs> like that Krypton Audible that you've got going on. Like, also, Clark is a baby, yeah. <laughs> so, like, it doesn't matter if me and you put a baby in a pod and sent him to Mars. It's putting loads of audiobooks in. He's not going to understand any of it. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And then he he talks about like uh, Jor El tells Cal about all his powers he's going to have. I don't know how Jor El knows this, but he, he knows. That it, Cal have powers on Earth. Um, mm. This ship then survives all of this, travel through space. He, he, he goes through weird red bits and and then white bits of space. <laughs> and then, then he, he arrives at Earth, and as soon as the spaceship meets an atmosphere of any kind, it seems to burn up yeah. <laughs> on entry. So yeah, it, it meets a very relatively thick, but not that bad, Earth atmosphere yeah. um, and burns up. Isn't there something to do with... This? I mean, again, I'm not going to talk about this for too long, but the atmosphere on Krypton or Krypton is significantly denser because of their red sun. Is that is that right? That, or, that's, that's the idea. That is why that while he's in on Earth, the, the yellow sun of our Earth, our, our solar system is a younger star, uh, and therefore it's radiation, he can drink it, and it will become his, his source of his power. Effectively, yeah. And... Uh... The um the, the 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 crystals obviously I think should technically be similar to him in that yeah. they'll they'll last and that's why he doesn't burn up and it's only a little bit of the outside that does. Right. Um, he lands uh, and he lands just in front of uh, Martha and John Kent in Kansas in the USA. Yeah, and uh, then Martha. And, my note here just says Martha and John Kent steal a baby. Yeah. Why does a baby have to have his willy out? Uh, <laughs> it was the 70s, Jake. It was a, a, a different time. Polanski probably hadn't been recognised as yeah. the nonce that he is. Um, it definitely wouldn't have happened now, would it? <laughs> no. Like, the post-Polanski years, he definitely wouldn't be allowed to... The baby would... There's also no need, like... Put the baby in some briefs. Yeah. Put him in some little Kryptonian briefs. That's fine. Uh, they we immediately wrap him up, which is great. That they ma- do. That yeah, makes they me... Do. After, after he lifts their car. Yeah, he lifts the car up, they're a bit shocked, and then we have another hard cut to Clark at high school being bullied. Yeah. Yep. Um, I like this bit. Yeah, and he he runs faster than a train. Yeah. Uh, Strangest VFX shot I've ever seen, by the way. Apparently, though, groundbreaking at the time. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, like so, people... Sure couldn't quite work out I, mean, I think it was the the tagline for this film that you will believe a man can fly but mm. that was apparently really uh really groundbreaking um i mean you'll believe a man can outrun a train yeah more appropriate yeah <laughs> i i like it's it's not so much the the vfx or the the uh the visual of him running alongside the train but basically he's running to get home in front of the jocks who've driven in a car yeah, and it's really good, that bit. There's like a little wide shot 
just before the they see him where you can see the dust of the car's kicking up and then you can yeah. see the dust that Clark's kicking up in the top corner of the screen and that they're sort of on a on a collision course to meet up with one another. It looks really cool. It looks like a like a, a, a comic book strip. You could imagine yeah. it being in a comic book. It's really, really cool. It's really good that moment. I there's a yeah, and then there's a really strange moment after this where uh, Jonathan Kent kind of tells Clark about the you know, don't use your powers. Um, you'll make yourself into a target for this world and people can't handle it and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and then he just dies for yeah. no reason. So yeah. he just has a heart attack and dies. I didn't know that's how it happened. Like, I'm guessing you know more about the comics than I do. And there's been lots of iterations of his origin story anyway. Yeah. Um, could they not have written a better way for Jonathan to go? This, this is, I mean, it's weird when you look at it. It's It's really, really close to Uncle Ben. And the way they yeah, do it. Uncle Ben, ben. Uncle ben died in an ironic way because it is literally Peter Parker could have prevented Uncle Ben's death and didn't. Yeah. Uh, and he feels guilt, and that guilt is what drives him to become a superhero, which is ultimately that, that is a really clever origin from Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. Yeah. But I don't think Jonathan Kent dropping down dead in the farm, even though I get, you know, it's awful yeah. um, and these things do happen to us. It's just, from a movie's perspective, I think it's weak. It just seems a bit it, yeah, strange. If you look at the narrative of this film, basically it is uh, Jonathan Kent gives the great power, uh, comes great responsibility speech. Yeah, diluted. Diluted. Dies. And then at that point, the crystal that was in Clark's ship wakes up yeah. and says, Oi, you're uh, you're going to be Superman. Um <laughs> Forget that responsibility bit. We're gonna we're gonna spend the next in movie time. I think it was years that he spends yeah. at the Fortress of Solitude. Because well, yeah, because he's a teenager when he leaves, so he's like a young adolescent Clark. Yeah. And by the time he dons the Superman Superman outfit, he's sort of fully grown. Yeah. So they basically he he just disappears. Yeah. This effectively high school age boy disappears and. <laughs> None of the authorities are worried that that Martha, who suddenly had a kid when she didn't have one, and now doesn't have a kid when she did have one. <laughs> she has neither a kid nor a husband. It's really bad as well in that, like, you, your dad's just died. Yeah. Like, take some responsibility. Look after Martha. Yeah, well, we all know how important Martha is to him. We've all watched Batman versus Superman. Um, well, like... <laughs> He doesn't seem to give a shit. No. He just goes, sorry, Mum, I know you've got loads of work and stuff and the farm is like on its ass, yeah. but this crystal's really important. <laughs> he doesn't even heading? explain the crystal. Probably the Arctic. <laughs> also, this is the this is the origin of, of the confusion of the Christopher Reeves series of Superman films. Why is this green glowing thing at this point helpful, but then you have yeah. other green glowing things that kill him? Yeah. <laughs> totally agree. Didn't get that at all. Um, and we obviously are going to review it later down the line, but I think in the um, in the Man of Steel um, franchise, as it were, for the the re- reboot, mm. he has like a crystal, uh, just got his dad's emblem on it, which is the S emblem. Yeah. And that's in his pod with him. And that's the thing his dad kind of, it's like a key that encodes all of the data on it, which I guess in a, in it's, it's a lot long, it's a lot further in the future, let's say, in terms of storytelling and where we've come from. Yeah. So the science fiction elements of Man of Steel, I guess, kind of work to that, to their credit better than this because we didn't have the, the amount of technology to do what they were doing. But 
Yeah, I found that really odd. Then he yeah. throws the green crystal into the snow. The green crystal that may or may not be kryptonite then becomes the Fortress of Solitude. Yeah, it just sort of grows out. out and again, no authorities notice this seismic shift in... Oh, no, nobody. No, no, no one's worried about the Fortress of Solitude, except Lex Luthor seems to know that it's yeah. happened, but that happens later in the next film. Um, yes, it does. So, uh, yeah, so the crystal... Um, uh, generates the Fortress of Solitude. Uh, Clark goes in, seems to instantly know how to use crystals, and uh, he he crystal conjures Marlon Brando again, who gives yes. him the "I am your father" speech. Yeah, so he does the uh, son, <laughs> you you will not remember me. And I am from Krypton, which may or may not be called Krypton. <laughs> you may not be getting it wrong. Uh, really, <laughs> yeah, this speech by Brando, as much as I like to rip it down is iconic like, oh it's yeah really iconic i don't think and i know they do it again in superman returns which we'll be reviewing later i they don't really ever it's such a beautiful cinema moment with marlon brando talking to clark i think yeah. it's great yeah it really made me feel like i was i was back in it like ah oh, this is what i remember about this film i remember this bit and I, and I was very much then drawn into the world as it were from this point onwards yeah, um, it, it's like he then dons the cape. He then, yeah, he just sort of gets the cape and uh, he flies out of the Fortress of Solitude and gets a job at the Daily Planet somehow because he's skipped out on his education yet he's fully qualified to be a journalist. <laughs> <laughs> I think it says a lot about the kind of talent working at the Daily Planet. <laughs> Um, do you know what as well I thought it was really funny I think me and you've spoken about this but the Daily Planet looks even better in this one than it did in any of the other films oh, despite yeah. those being three and four like it looked shit in, in the other <laughs> two films but in this film it's a skyscraper it looks really art deco it's got loads of floors it's got loads of people and big lifts and big revolving doors in it and it's in new york you know or metropolis yeah yeah it's in, um, it's in proper metropolis rather than milton not in kings, kings. <laughs> in the car park oh do you know what though it's it's one of those where as a as a again i'm not as much of a fan of you as you were but as a, as a reviewer i really want to go back and watch superman 4 again now because of how much i've learned through these two films yeah like to think about where they were in superman 1 and 2 to think about where they ended up in <laughs> superman 4 jesus christ yeah they, they, they had a lot of problems and, uh, and most of them stem from spending far too much money on other films uh yeah. and not not keeping so enough sad. money for for superman but this this you can tell the amount of love and money probably that went into this film uh yeah the the brilliant thing is though if you do go back to watch superman 4 regardless of the set christopher reeves was pitch perfect as clark yeah from uh, yeah. the moment you see him in the Daily Planet office, sort of bumbling around, shaking Jimmy Olsen's hand and things like that. He's so funny. He's yeah. he's absolutely spot on. And then they they quickly move to that alleyway scene where mm. the, there's a, a hold up at gunpoint, and he, with Lois, with Lois, mm. and he just has that amazing conversation with the guy holding a gun, saying, "Are you sure you really want to do this? I mean, there's a lot going wrong in the world. This just—it's just—it's brilliant, Clark Kent. It's yeah. so so good, and it it shows off a lot of his versatility. I think as an actor, yeah, and and Clark catches the bullet from the gun, yeah, and subvertly like puts it away when Lois doesn't see him, which I thought was really nice. Uh, there's another bit in this that you've missed, which I thought was really funny. 
Um, Perry White, who we get introduced to, I guess, for the first time yeah. in this film, um, even though we've seen him in our other two episodes. Um, Perry only play, he only pays Jimmy Olsen $40 a week. <laughs> Titan <laughs> bastard. <laughs> and I also wrote in my notes, which you thought was funny, which was, um, what qualifications does Clark Kent actually have? Uh, because we just he just just shows up and you know and he's like I pay Jimmy Olsen forty dollars a week for photos and what does he do and you're like forty dollars a week yeah. mate he can't get by Metropolis on forty dollars a week can he I, I don't know he, he seems to be dressed rather snappily he does his little bow tie I also like when we cut to the exterior of the Daily Planet there's a little fruit store that you keep seeing and it's like a guy selling fruit and veg um, and someone steals a tomato yes <laughs> but that... they get quickly rumbled by the owner of the store <laughs> <laughs> that's that's brilliant I love the the little incidental things that they that they have um, mm. the uh they then go to a scene where police officers are tailing um, Lex's little minion, Otis. Yes, in the subway. Yeah, and I noticed something, that one of the police officers is actually the police captain from Lethal Weapon. Oh, okay, that's a good fact. <laughs> so it's the one with the long hair, the one that doesn't die. He right, later becomes yeah, yeah, yeah. becomes the captain in, uh, in Lethal Weapon, so he gets a promotion later, which is great. Uh, yeah, we then get introduced to Lex Luthor, the world's greatest criminal mind. Um, he's only interested in really procuring land. <laughs> yeah, he's really, really interested in anonymously buying land. Why land? Is this a thing from the comic books, or is this just... What is this? This Because Lex is really devious. I mean, this is something that you could imagine comic book Lex doing. But yeah. this is Gene Hackman, Lex Luthor. And I think okay. they're very different. In the same way, I think, like, Jack Nicholson Joker is yeah. different to Joker Joker in the comics and all the other Joker... You know, every Joker seems to have its own, you know, their own thing. Yeah. Gene Hackman's Joker is definitely sort of like a, a land mogul. He's, he's very interested in buying up real estate. And the reason he wants to do that is he basically wants to sink California. Um... <laughs> Which, which for a film, obviously that is heavily supported by the Hollywood industry, is quite yeah. brave. Really, it's, it's funny. It's, yeah. it's like sticking two fingers up at, at the totally. establishment. Uh, so I, I quite like that. He wants to sink California and uh, basically turn Texas into a coastal real estate. <laughs> which <laughs> is, is such a bizarre plot line, but that that's what we have. Um, and he he has two two little helpers. He has Otis, who's not very useful at all, um, and he has Miss Tessmacher, who's actually quite a nice person. And it never really explains how she ended up with Lex. No, in the, yeah. throughout the film, I like that character though. Yeah, she's a lot. It's a lot better than what we've seen. And it the formula of the bumbling idiot and the sort of sexy femme fatale. I guess it's always worked. It's kind of worked in Bond. Yeah. Um, and I feel a lot of that, like, 1960s Bond influence over these movies. Um, we then get the scene with the helicopter and the crooks. Yeah. Um, in which Lois is then falls out of the helicopter and she's dangling off the edge of the building. Um, to, for 78, it looks amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the actual... The, the visual effects for the flying and everything look yeah. so much better in this film than they do in the later films. Uh, Even when Clark's going up the side of the building with his feet and there's a guy from the building and it, I just think it looks great I, just yeah. couldn't, I remember looking at it and thinking 
Because if it's in HD, obviously I've got them in HD on our in, in the modern world. It's nice to see them in 1080p. Yeah. But when you see them like remastered and how good they still look for 78, I was really impressed with the quality of of the film and and the way the visual effects hold up. Um, and for me, as a big thing, and this is a big thing with any movie, the visual effects shouldn't they should add to the storytelling. They shouldn't remove you from the storytelling. Yeah. I- and obviously, a big thing for that is like. Transformers is special effects heavy to the point where I don't know what I'm looking at, so it takes me out of the story. Yeah. Um, this and things like Jurassic Park or maybe Forrest Gump saving Private Ryan, those special effects that are layered throughout that movie, they just they lay it. The layers are there, but you just don't see them because you're completely immersed. Oh, um, definitely. And I love that about this film. I think that works really well to its credit. Yeah, it's it's this whole little sort of superhero montage. Again, it gets lifted in. You know, Spider Man does it um, when they suddenly the hero discovers their powers and discovers the use they have, uh, and it yeah. just shows a series of uh, l- little crimes that he's sol- solved. And he rescues a cat yeah. from a tree, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> which is of course just, he does because he's, he's Superman and he talks to the cat because he's Superman. And again, it's this all these little things that make you think. Ah, yeah, Christopher Reeve is Superman because mm. he, he, you know, he 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 stands for truth, justice, and the American way. I think he actually says that in his interview with Lois Lane. Yeah. I, it's much more innocent as well than anything that's come since. Yeah, because obviously we've had to get grittier with movies because people just aren't impressed with what they used to see. Well, it, he even has a no smoking message because Lois sparks <laughs> up when just before they're yeah. about to do their interview. He says, "Oh, you know, yeah, yeah. Miss Lane, you shouldn't smoke," and you think. This is 78, and Superman also, is telling people not to smoke. This is actually quite yeah. progressive. Also, I agree with you. However, Marlboro product placement. <laughs> oh, gosh, yes. They they took a lot of Marlboro money for this film. <laughs> they really did. So you know what? Bollocks to you, Richard Dunner. <laughs> I'm not buying it, Superman. <laughs> You're trying to sell kids cigarettes. <laughs> Oh, I like it though because when he catches Lois, she's he, there's a really good line where uh, she he says, "I got you," and she goes, "You got me? Who's got you?" Yeah, which oh, it's just so good. It's, it's so it's so iconic, and it just yeah, it's the first comic book film, so why not yeah. throw that in there? I love lines like that. They're the lines that you do remember from those kind of movies. Yeah, and then the uh, after the montage, he he uh, stops some criminals that are on a boat. And he just picks the boat up and leaves it outside the police station. And and instead of dealing with this boat that's now blocking up the roadway outside the police station, uh, the two police officers that notice it just sort of sneak out of scene and go to the pub (laughs) because they can't deal with it. (laughs) So So good. I love how sort of realistic people's reactions are to the ridiculous stuff that's happening in front of them. Um, And then after all that goodwill that this film's built up for me, it does something really stupid where he reveals to Lois that his one weakness is lead. He can't see through lead. And she puts that in her newspaper article that Superman... Oh, is that how, is that how, you find, is that how Lex finds out? Yeah, then? Lex reads Lois's uh, okay, article. Okay, that makes sense. I didn't, I didn't see that bit. Yeah, you know when... I must have missed it. She, uh, she asks him what colour underwear she's wearing. Yeah. And he says, um, mm, I, it's difficult. I, uh, this plant pot must be made of lead. Can't, can't do that. Sorry. And then she walks away and he then tells her it's pink. And that makes her really embarrassed. Uh, and then they have the uh, weird walking in the air moment. Uh, Yeah, I like that bit. I like it up to the point where uh, Lois starts sort of in her head reciting a weird poem about (laughs) wondering if 
if Superman can read her mind. Uh, can you read my mind? And then it goes on and on and on about how um, how in love she is with this guy who's taken her for a flight. And she hasn't even yeah. named him at this point. So she doesn't know, that, you know, she just decides later after this flight that uh, she walks back into her apartment and goes, what a Superman. Superman. Uh, <laughs> she names him, doesn't yeah. she? Yeah. yeah, I didn't like that. I mean, th- this is kind of something that gets picked up um, in the uh, in, in the Supergirl series, the the magazine yeah. that uh, Kara works for wants to be the the PR sort of um, instrument for this new superhero, and they yeah. they name her Supergirl, and Kara gets all angsty about it being girl and why not woman and. It's a, yeah. It is picked up on in, in other sort of DC stuff, but you just think it is a bit sad, isn't it? Like, he, <laughs> yeah. he could come up with his own his own name, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a bit, a bit naff in that sense. Yeah, it's very cheesy. Um, we then... And then... Yeah, sorry, go on. Yeah, no, I... Uh, I ran out of notes, so... <laughs> yeah, that's all right. Uh, <laughs> Clark then arrives on scene after flying as Superman with Lois around. Clark pretends to be Clark, and he's about yeah. to reveal himself. And this is the... I think this is where you see some really cool but really sort of subtle acting choices from Christopher Reeve. Mm. When he's Clark, he slouches. So, mm. so he, the way he carries himself, he slouches, and he's about to tell Lois that he's Superman. So he takes off his glasses, and you just think, oh, he's Clark without glasses. And then all of a sudden, he stands up straight, and you go, oh wow, that is. It actually does look different. It's such a different thing. He stands up straight, start and smiles, and he goes from looking like Clark to Superman, even without his glasses on. Yeah, and yeah, I think it's clever. It's really, really clever. Um, and um, I think Lois is still so head over heels of her evening with Superman that she doesn't really notice anything. Clark gives up, and they just go out and, and have a friend date. Um, and uh, I think we, it's at this point we cut to uh, we cut back to Lex's plot. Yeah, I like Lex's plot is another one of those ridiculously convoluted plots that happen in all these style movies. I think what this one suffers from a little bit in comparison to the second one, which we're going to talk about next episode, is that he Lex doesn't have a power over Superman, really. Yeah. Apart from being clever. Yeah. Um, which I know works in some capacity, but obviously there's not. he's not a physical match for Superman. So when Superman confronts Lex, you have to have, you have, to have a device, a MacGuffin, to to create a status quo, which in this case obviously is kryptonite, there has to be as well a there has to be enough peril for us to believe that Superman is weakened. And I think they've done this better and worse and better and worse again as we've watched them. And obviously we'll talk about this as the episodes go on. Yeah, it's that thing about is the plot of the villain who's a human strong enough to make me believe there's genuine peril. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and I <clears throat> I think up until... It, it's it's one of those really odd things. I, I think they have a, 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 a similarity in some ways to like the Joel Schumacher Batman films where yeah. he's on his way to stop Mr. Freeze, 
and the police chief gives um, basically gives uh, Batman uh, the lowdown on who Mr. Freeze is. And after that, mm. Batman then seems to also know lots of extra information about this new villain yeah. that he shouldn't do. This, is, this film has a similar problem where uh, basically Superman is uh, and Clark are unaware of Lex up until the point Lex does his weird telepathic phone call. Yeah, and lures him in. And lures him in. And he he knows nothing about him, and yet he's still calling him in all sorts of villainous names when he meets him. Yeah. But they've never met yet. Uh, so that I can only imagine there's bits that were in the film that were cut for whatever reason that yeah, ex- yeah, explain, because yeah. they, um, they don't really go into too much detail as to how Lex obtains the kryptonite. He no, he just he reads about it. Uh, they and then find Otis out it brings it. In. Yeah, uh, he reads about it. They find out it's in Addis Ababa, and then you hear. I think it's uh, Perry tell Clark about a, uh, a theft in Addis Ababa, and two people died. Yeah, and that's it. That's, that's right. all. That's yeah, all yeah. you hear it's about a bit of it. You see, yeah. you see a lot more of Otis hiding behind what looks like a Christmas tree. Sneaking onto a missile, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to try and mess with that missile yeah. on the bridge, and he gets the coordinates wrong, which I think is great. Um, <laughs> yeah, and then and then Miss um, what's her face has to Teshmacher has to go and do it. Yeah, I mean, oh, that, funny. that was a really cool, funny scene. It's sort of like a a really bad version of um, uh, the Italian Job in that sense, where they, yeah. but they get another chance to go and do it again. Uh, yeah, do you know this bit with the missile reminded me so much of carry-on films? Yes. It just reminded me of a carry-on film. Like, it has all the elements of a carry-on film. And then it's like, she comes back and he's like, oh, I put the wrong coordinates in. It's like, oh, Matron. Yeah. And it just seems really daft. And I was thinking, this is just a bit odd. Um, but again, 70s. Yeah, <laughs> 70s humour. Um, you know, the the army captain saying that they should give her the kiss of life. And then he said, don't worry, gents, I wouldn't want you, you know, I wouldn't, not do something that <laughs> yeah, I'd want the, you to do. That's what I'm talking about. I see, yeah. Oh, God. Oh, please stop. The, the captain tries to snog Miss Tashmaker. Yeah. And like, oh, God. Yeah. It, <laughs> Why is it the start of a porno? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, uh, but I love it when, after all that, Otis gets into the ambulance after yeah. doing what he needs to do. And Gene Hackman is just brilliant in this film. He goes, it's not that I don't trust you, Otis. But I don't trust you, Otis. <laughs> did, did, did you do it? And then, and then Otis's yeah. excuse for getting it wrong was that his arm's not long enough. <laughs> I, lo- I love Gene Hackman anyway. Yeah. And Gene Hackman, um, he plays that character so well. I think he probably plays him better in the second one, which we'll talk about next time. Yeah. But I love him so much. If anything, like <sighs> Superman 3... Yes, he's in Superman 4, but it's ridiculous. But Superman yeah. 3 is is all the worse for him not being in it. Definitely. Um, obviously, we're going to be talking about the recasting of Lex Luthor in our uh, later episodes. Mm. But I, uh, yeah, I love his performance in this film. I think it's so it's so spot on. It really does. It does work. It is, um, yeah. The uh, missiles go array um, and it explodes. It doesn't. It's supposed to try and bomb California. It's basically going to cut California off from the rest of the world. Yeah. Uh, and then when he does that, he's got beachfront property on the west coast. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't work, and um, Superman ends up uh, stopping the explosion and sealing up the fault line. 
Um, but while he's doing this, James, Lois falls into a crevice. Yeah. Uh, in her car, she can't get out. And it fills up with dirt and mud and stuff. Um, and she dies, which is really odd. Yeah. And uh, then he uh, he basically retcons the entire film and rewinds time. Yeah. Uh, heeding it, the warning of Jor-El, his father, who says you should not ever manipulate anything to do with uh, time or human history. Basically, what happens in Doctor Strange is the same premise. Yeah, and uh, he does that, and he does save Lois, but at the same time, he's still upset Jimmy Olsen, who's a bit miffed that Superman left him on the side of a road with no one to speak to. <laughs> <laughs> so he does yeah. save the world, except for Jimmy Olsen. Jimmy, and he could have done a lot more, couldn't he? Because he could have just reversed all the way. Yeah, again, well, again, this movie. This is the, the, the this is also where the, the the villainous plot of Lex Luthor breaks down because there are two missiles and he only needs one of them. Yeah, uh, but he doesn't change the coordinates of the other one. They only change the coordinates of one missile, mm. but the other one is still on a crash course for New Jersey. So that means the military have aimed this missile at New Jersey. Yeah, what happens to that one? Well, that's the one that Superman stops. because that's the one he puts into space? Yeah, because Miss Tessmacher, uh, has, her mum lives in New Jersey, and that's the only yeah, reason that's, that's the only reason she, she helps him get the kryptonite off his neck. Yeah, he puts a kryptonite on him and then shoves him into the pool, doesn't he? Yeah. I love that set, by the way, with the, uh, like, it looks like um, Grand Central Station Terminal yeah. with the pool in the middle. I thought it was really cool. It is. It's it really interesting. It's such a good lair, isn't it? Uh, yeah, and they, it's a they, proper good one. They do joke about it in the early part of the film where Miss Tessmack is moaning about it. And Lex says, well, how many other people do you know <laughs> Do you know that have such a central address in Metropolis? He says, yeah, but we're we're underground <laughs> This isn't cool. We're underground. It's like that Mitchell and Webb look scene where they go, are we the baddies? <laughs> yeah. Have we got skulls on our helmets? I think we're the bad guys. Um, so, yeah, it, it's it's brilliant. I, I love um, when he's revealing his plan as well to Superman because they, they have that sort of cliche bad guy reveal scene it's where... It's like the original cliche bad guy reveal though, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and they've just got that map on the floor that they're walking over and Otis yeah. has written Otisburg in Biro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw that. Is that well, Miss uh, Tessmacher had her own place. I just wanted a little... It's just a little place. Just a tiny yeah. place. <laughs> what, does was... Lex, what does Lex call California? The new, the new California? Oh, it, it's all things with his name in it, isn't it? Yeah, like... Like Lexland or something. Yeah, it's uh, it's just brilliant. That I love that they have so, a sense of humour about it. I know modern superhero films are really gritty now, but yeah. I love that this film doesn't take itself too seriously. No, and I, I guess the only thing that I did think again was retconning, and it was really silly. Was the fact that Superman? It's the thing that I hate about. It's the thing I hate about a lot of movies, and it's the same with things like um, your Batman's, your Superman's, X Men. Uh, especially things like Marvel and and Star Wars, is that they can for, they can set loads of parameters and loads of cool ideas in place that kind of respect the boundaries of the world they're in. Mm. And this, I mean, this in the sense that um, if, if in Captain America you're going to have weapons of mass destruction that are powered by uh, the cosmic cube, the Tesseract, yeah, then that's fine. That's established. But then don't say that Iron Man, where it's set in our world, has the same 
uh, you know what I mean? The same parameters. Yeah. So I'm thinking, well, the Nazis in the fictional World War Two that you just made up have got like super weapons with lasers. So how can you go to 2008 and you don't have any of this stuff? Like, where did that go? What happened to it? And yeah. I guess they kind of explain that away in Marvel a bit. But with this, it's the sense that every time Superman... Um, they cre- they sort of um, try and invent their way out of a plot hole yeah. by adding a superpower. Uh, Star Wars does this very much with the last Star Wars that they did, which we'll probably talk about at some point. They they invent new powers that the Force can do to bring them out of of, of problems. They go, oh, we need to fish our way out of this plot hole. Let's invent a let's invent a new superpower. Yeah, you're like, Ugh, you can't have like all this history and then just invent a superpower to get you out of a plot. I just, it feels lazy and I, and I really have a problem with that in these films. Yeah. And I think some of the, the plot holes that we've discussed are yeah. down to, uh, the sort of, uh, firing and hiring of directors during yeah. filming this two film set back to back. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause yeah. actually some of these plot devices were intended for a completely different film. Yeah. So these were actually some of these things were actually intended for the sequel. It's funny. So it? it's so strange. Yeah. So there, uh, there are people who, because uh, in the next episode we'll be talking about the theatrical release of Superman two, and what we then got mm-hmm. much much later, which was is commonly known as the Donner cut, and <laughs> yeah. uh, the Donner <coughs> cut of the film uh, is more like what he wanted to release in the theatrical version. But yeah. he was fired and didn't get a chance to tell that story. And that, when you see that, there are some people now that argue that one's better than the other. I think they're both interesting, yeah. but they both have their issues. Uh, but they changed so much in the second one because of issues that were brought up because they used plot points from the second one in the first one. Right, so, I didn't know that. Yeah, so there's some really in- interesting things that we'll be able to, to talk about next time about what, what they changed but uh right yeah um i've got i have got sorry i wanted to let you know before we end this episode that i have some shit merch i've been i i, I didn't even have to search for it i found it at a bar in sheffield nice and i loved it so i thought i'll talk about it on the podcast have you got any shit merch uh not for this film no okay well i'll just give you mine you can come up with one later yeah um, I have found in the local pub in Sheffield, it was at the top of a shelf. It was all very dusty and very old. It was a Superman potato head. <laughs> what? Like a Mr. Potato Head from like Toy Story. Yeah. But a Superman version of it. Oh. With the hair and ears and a really weird face. I'm going to put a picture up on our Twitter. It looks awful. That. But imagine Mr. Like, go on Google, Amazon, and look at this Mr. Potato Head. Then imagine a really aged, dusty, and faded version that's been on the shelf in the sun for ages. Yeah. Oh God! It was like one of those nightmarish things you see in like movies. You're like at the beginning of Gremlins, and he's looking for a, a pet or a toy for his kid. Yeah. You're like, ah, a really dirty old. A moth-eaten potato head that's dressed as Superman. That'll do. <laughs> I, I've just done a quick Google, and if it's the one I'm <laughs> looking at, it? <laughs> it it looks scary already. Even it's though wicked, isn't it? This one's in a box, Jake, and yeah. in a box, this one would fetch currently eighty-two, no, ninety-five dollars eighty-nine cents no. with twenty-five dollars really? postage. If you wanted to buy it, 
And and this one looks like it's a modern one as well. Yeah, I don't know when these came out, but as I say, this was like um, this thing looked old. Yeah, like it looked really old. <laughs> but yeah, thought that was going to be good. I thought I'll save that for the podcast. That's, a, that's an excellent bit of shit merch. I I enjoyed that. Yeah, I. Um, so yeah, we'll put the jingle in at some point. I will let you go, and we will pick up with our next episode, yep. which will be Superman Two. Superman and DOS. You're going to be talking about the Donna version, I think, as well as educating me, who's only seen a theatrical version. Yes, is that right? Yeah, so I, some I have some some interesting bits and pieces that have happened. I am glad. I've got some interesting facts about the two, so I guess we'll save them till next time. Yeah. Right. Thank you, James. Thanks, Jake. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. See you later. Bye. Bye.